What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board-style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. Alright, so for this case we have a 66-year-old man. He presents to his primary care physician's office complaining of a one-month history of fatigue, cough, an unintentional 20-pound weight loss. That's quite a bit of weight to lose in that short a period of time. Fatigue and cough, kind of nonspecific. Could be an infection. Again, when you see weight loss like this that's unintentional, in a short period of time, you definitely want to be concerned for malignancy as well. The patient has also had difficulty with picking up his medications. So that's going to be fine hand movements, uh, particularly the fingers, because you think about, you know, with someone trying to pick up these small tablets, they're going to have to use very fine finger movements. When you hear that, when you hear fine finger movements, you actually want to think about ulnar nerve, because that controls or innervates those intrinsic hand muscles that allows you to do that. He denies chest pain, shortness of breath, fever, chills, and leg pain. Physical exam reveals partial drooping of the right eye, which would be ptosis, and then constriction of the right pupil compared to the left. So he's got some ptosis and some meiosis of the right eye. Uh, the patient has normal S1, S2 without any murmurs, gallops, or rubs. Lungs are clear to auscultation, and he's got two plus radial pulses. So pretty normal cardiovascular exam and pulmonary exam. He's got good perfusion to his extremities, to his upper extremities, which would be important because when you think about weakness in the hands, one cause of that, in addition to a nerve problem, could also be ischemia. So you could have some stenosis of, of, of the axillary artery, the bright brachial artery or the radial artery that's providing perfusion to the hand. But given that he's got these palpable pulses, you're less suspicious for that. There's no edema or skin discoloration present in the extremities. So that would make you less suspicious for a uh, clot in one of the veins or a, or a backup of fluid in the veins. And so that, again, that kind of lowers your suspicion for, you know, say a deep vein thrombosis or, or something like that. The patient's right hand has four minus out of five strength. So remember three out of five is against gravity. So four out of five, four minus out of five means he's barely able to go beyond resisting gravity. So it's pretty weak when spreading his fingers against resistance. So that's confirms what we're telling he's telling us in the history on exam. His past medical history is notable for hypertension, coronary artery disease previously treated with angioplasty and stents. So some cardiovascular risk factors there, obviously, and then you contribute to that with insulin independent diabetes and hyperlipidemia. So again, significant cardiovascular risk factors here. He has smoked two packs of cigarettes per day for the past 45 years. So very significant smoking history. Again, a cardiovascular risk factor, also a risk factor for malignancy. He drinks two alcoholic beverages per day, so he's a drinker, and then he denies illicit drug use. His medications include aspirin, which is probably, he's probably on that for his cardiovascular disease and having stents previously. His lisinopril, that's for his blood pressure. He's on metformin for his diabetes, and then torvastatin, which is what he's on for his hyperlipidemia and also for his previous cardiovascular disease treated with stents. He did have a clean colonoscopy six months ago. You gotta pay attention to these cancer screening things because especially when someone has 20 pound weight loss, fatigue, you definitely gotta be in an older guy like this or the smoking history, you gotta be suspicious for cancer. And a very common cause of cancer, you know, common things commonly happen, is a common cause of cancer in elderly people is 
colorectal cancer. So the fact that he's got a recent colonoscopy that's pretty clean, you know, that kind of rules that out. Digital prostate exam, again, in men of this age, very, very common. Again, though, this does not reveal any masses. So this cancer screening actually tells us a lot of information. And so we get down to the question here, this patient's pathology involves which of the following structures? So this is both a pathology and an anatomy question. You gotta figure out what the pathology is from the presenting symptoms and exam findings, but then at the same time, you've gotta know the anatomy around that pathology and what's involved and then what's also contributing to some of these exam findings and symptoms. So if we kind of make a short list here of the key findings, this is an older man presenting with fatigue, cough, and unintentional weight loss. Again, infection could also be malignancy. Definitely want to be worried about that, especially an older guy with smoking history. Difficulty with fine right hand movements confirmed on exam. Normal cardiopulmonary exam. Partial ptosis and meiosis of the right eye. This is what make you suspicious for Horner syndrome. which involves the sympathetic nerves of the head and neck. The other component to this, these are the two main components, but you can also have anhydrosis, which is where you've cut off innervation of the sweat glands of that region, and so you actually have like dry skin in that area. He's also got some cardiovascular risk factors that we've outlined, significant smoking history, and then like we said, his cancer screening is negative for colorectal and prostate cancer. So if we kind of look at these very key findings here to kind of elucidate the pathology, he's presenting with symptoms of cancer, you know, fatigue, coughing, and then he's got a smoking history, and then which are coupled together are very suspicious for malignancy. The fact that he's got these cancer screenings that are negative for colorectal and prostate cancer, the big thing you want to be worried about here is lung cancer. You know, obviously there's other cancers you could be worried about, like renal cell carcinoma potentially. The thing is renal cell carcinoma, you're going to have more so gross hematuria than so much so, you know, coughing. The other thing is you have, you got to look at these other findings as well. Intrinsic hand weakness, Again, you want to think about ulnar nerve or all the way up to the brachial plexus. Partial ptosis and meiosis of the right eye. Again, with this, you want to be thinking about Horner's syndrome, which is a result of the sympathetics of the head and neck. And then, like we said, the cancer screening. So these all together, it kind of gives it away with this diagram. But if you look at what you have here, again, all of these different structures, the subclavian artery is right here. We'll label this SCA. The superior vena cava is right here, so SVC. Sympathetic trunk is going to be running around this, just is running around in this region, just adjacent to the, sp the spinal column. The phrenic nerve, you can see here, is running down this way. And then the brachial plexus, like we talked about, is running in here as well. So potentially, if you have a lung tumor in here, which is I think what they're getting at, it could infect really a number of these structures. So then you got to go back to the history and physical exam findings to really figure out which ones is it exactly affecting. And so a tumor in this region, this is called the apex of the lung. This is called a pancoast tumor. This is very high yield for the USMLE exams, very high yield for medical school exams as well. And a pancoast tumor is basically a lung cancer and it's found in the apex of the lung. And they like to ask about this because it can involve a number of other structures as well. And now let's go through each of these structures and kind of figure out, based on the patient's symptoms and exam findings, which one is affected. So now that we've established that this is a pancoast tumor, let's go through some of these structures and see which one is most likely involved based on the patient's presenting symptoms and physical exam findings. 
So the first one we'll actually look at is the brachial plexus because we know pretty clearly that this patient has some kind of ulnar nerve involvement or at least the inferior trunk of the brachial plexus, which in the case of pancose tumors or lung tumors is actually probably more likely the one involved. So if you if we were kind of just draw a shadow of the lung right here, and you know the apex is this top portion of the lung, and so if you were to color in a tumor here, it's most likely going to affect, you can see this inferior portion. It's just based on proximity, based on the anatomy. And so as you can see, here's the ulnar nerve coming off here, and so you have the inferior trunk up here, and this is where you're most likely going to be affected by a apex lung tumor. And again, if we look at kind of just a regular drawing of the anatomy of the brachial plexus, the answer choice is the superior trunk, which is roots C5 and C6. which as in the name, it's much more superior. And so the superior trunk gives rise to nerves such as the suprascapular nerve, the musculocutaneous nerve, and the axillary nerve. And as a result of that, the suprascapular nerve innervates the supraspinatus and infraspinatus, which are muscles of the rotator cuff responsible for lateral rotation. And so, you know, you're gonna lose lateral rotation of the shoulder. Musculocutaneous is elbow flexion with brachialis in the biceps muscle. And then obviously axillary muscle is the deltoid muscle, which is abduction of the shoulder. So you're gonna lose all three of these. And what's gonna happen is, is that the arm is gonna hang at the side and actually turn in medially and be extended. And so that's gonna give you that waiter's tip position that you'll see with what's called herb Duchenne palsy. Now this patient doesn't have herb Duchenne palsy. The rest of his extremity is fine. It's just in his hand. He has intrinsic hand muscle weakness, which again is much more ulnar nerve, which is going to come from this inferior trunk, which is CAT1. And as you can see, given the proximity to the apex of the lung, that's much more likely to be involved. So we can confidently cross out superior trunk of the brachial plexus. Next, if we go to the subclavian artery, if you look here in this diagram, here's the subclavian artery here. It comes off of the brachiocephalic trunk, which is the first branch off of the aorta in the aortic arch here. The subclavian artery goes on to perfuse the upper extremity. And so mainly what you're going to see is if you had stenosis of the subclavian artery or involvement of the subclavian artery, you're going to have ischemia of the upper extremity. So you're going to see hand or arm weakness, which he does have some hand weakness, but I feel like that's just better explained by ulnar nerve and inferior trunk involvement. The other thing is you're going to see decrease or non-palpable pulses versus this patient has nicely palpable two plus radial pulses. The other thing is you're usually going to see, you could see numbness, skin changes. He's not complaining any numbness in his hand or in his arm. The other thing is you're not seeing any skin discoloration as they report in the stem. So again, this seems less likely that it's the subclavian artery involvement. Subclavian so artery, due to the anatomy, can be involved with pancose tumors, but in just patient, you're just not seeing the signs that it is. It's one of those where sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Next, if we go to the superior vena cava, so if we kind of draw a drawing in here, so here's the superior vena cava, and obviously that's going to be draining into the right atrium of the heart. And then you have off of here the brachiocephalic vein. which is formed by the joining of the internal jugular vein and the subclavian vein.
and it's the same thing over here. The internal jugular veins, these will drain the head and the neck, and then the subclavian veins, they will drain the upper extremities, and then everything comes together to form in the brachiocephalic veins to form the superior vena cava and come back to the heart. Now, the thing you got to remember is that if you have the tumor blocking the superior vena cava, which was called superior vena cava syndrome, that can happen with pancose tumors, but the thing is what you're going to see is just as you block any piping system, you're going to see backup of flow and backup of flow. And so what you're going to see is significant edema of the face and of the neck. You're going to see bulging out of the jugular veins. You're also going to see significant edema and swelling of the upper extremities. You can potentially see skin discoloration as well as a result of that. And then in the stem, you just don't see any mention of that. You don't see mention of facial swelling. You don't see any mention of backup of fluid or edema or anything like that. So it seems less likely that in this particular patient's case that we do not have superior vena cava involvement. So we can confidently cross out that answer choice. Now, the sympathetic trunk, if you look back up here, we've got Horner syndrome. And so let's take a look closer look at Horner syndrome. So you've got partial ptosis, which is drooping of the eyelid that does not cover the entire eye. So you look here, it comes down about halfway through. It's caused by paralysis of the superior tarsal muscle, which you can see here superior tarsus here, here you go here. And this is a muscle, if you look on this sagittal region, it's in the eyelid and it actually extends off a muscle called the levator palpebrae superioris. And so this muscle is actually innervated by cranial nerve three, the ocular motor nerve. And so this muscle is actually stronger at holding up the eyelid. So if you have a cranial nerve three palsy, you actually have full ptosis. That's the difference between partial ptosis and full ptosis. The reason, again, is this levator palpebrae superioris muscle is, is a stronger muscle for holding the eyelid open. The other thing is the superior tarsus muscle is essentially an extension of this muscle. And so, again, if you lose levator palpebrae superioris, you're going to lose superior tarsus. It doesn't matter. And so that's going to give you full ptosis. Versus the superior tarsal muscle is innervated by the cervical sympathetic efferent fibers, which are from the sympathetic trunk. And so, again, if we come here and look at Horner syndrome, you've got ptosis, which our patient has. He has meiosis, which is constriction of the pupil. And then anhydrosis is where you lose innervation to the sweat glands in the region, and so you have dry skin. Now, this patient isn't reporting this. It doesn't really necessarily mean he doesn't have it. But again, you have these two key findings in Horner syndrome. And so if we look here... Here's the sympathetic trunk right here. And then here's these sympathetic fibers coming up through here, through the ganglion, and then up in here. And if you look, you have these long ciliary nerves to the dilator pupillae muscle, which is the muscle responsible for dilating the eye or dilating the pupil of the eye, excuse me. And so if you lose these fibers, this input, you can't dilate the pupil. And so it's just going const to constrict uncontrollably, unopposed. And so that's where you get this constriction of the pupil here versus the normal eye here. And so again, you get lack of innervation of sweat glands, superior tarsal muscle, sweat glands, and then dilator pupillae muscle here. One way people remember these is PAM. So the first initial of all of these findings. So again, sympathetic trunk is looking like our answer here. The patient actually has these findings. The other thing just to know is that pancose tumors and Horner syndrome very commonly associated on exams. So definitely just a good thing to know. If you see someone with kind of a smoking history, they have Horner syndrome, you definitely want to start thinking about pancose tumor.
The last thing here on the list, you have phrenic nerve. So the phrenic nerve, if you look and you follow it down here, obviously comes down and innervates the diaphragm and drives breathing. Certainly by its anatomy, it can be involved with a pancoast tumor, an apex lung tumor. But again, this patient, he's not complaining of any shortness of breath. He's not complaining of any orthopnea or anything like that. And so it doesn't seem that the phrenic nerve would be involved in this case. So again, we come back to the stem with all the answer choices. It just sums up what we just went through. Again, subclavian artery, there's no evidence of right upper extremity ischemia. Superior vena cava involvement, again, there's no shortness of breath. There's no swelling of the facial area or the upper extremities. The sympathetic trunk, again, we, this patient does have components of Horner syndrome. And then again, for the phrenic nerve, there's no shortness of breath. There's no orthopnea. And then superior trunk would be herb Duchenne palsy. It's more likely that this patient has inferior trunk involvement. So what we have here is a 66-year-old patient presenting with a pancoast tumor involving the inferior trunk of the brachial plexus and the sympathetic trunk resulting in Horner syndrome. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you check back every Wednesday for new Da Vinci cases. In the meantime, be sure to download the PDF notes for this video below. Also on our site, you can find our book and video packages for anatomy and biochemistry. And then lastly, if you have any questions about the content of this video or about Da Vinci Academy, put them in the comments and our team will be sure to answer them. All right, thanks for watching. We'll catch you next week.